Hi, this is Alan Bolio from ITR Economics, and I want to thank you for joining us for the Greater Regional Alliance of Realtors broadcast of uh, what's going on in your world, what's going on in our world, and, and everything that is going to impact us as we go forward. Thank you for all the questions. I really enjoy those, and I want to try to answer them now in this podcast, and, and I'll do my best. There are some that I cannot answer, and I will let you know what those are. Somebody asked if, if where do you see uh, Michigan unemployment percentage topping out, or are we already there? We should be already there. Um, the, the Friday number, uh, which would be the fourth, I believe it was, whatever that Friday was, uh, the sixth, was, was a bad number. But even with that bad number, we're soon going to see jobs coming back because unemployment benefits run out at the end of July as things stand now, which means that folks that have been saying, ah, I don't really want to go back to work. I'm making more now. They're going to go back to work and businesses are going to be wanting to bring some people back. It's not going to be uh, as nearly as, as pull back to work as it was a letting go from work, but more people will be going back to work, which means that the Michigan unemployment rate uh, should peak. If it's not peaking now, it'll peak in the very near term and begin to go back down again. Now, I, somebody mentioned that I did mention uh, modern monetary theory, MMT, and that it uh, may become uh, more part of the national conversation in the future as debt increases. I was asked if I could make the argument for MMT and uh, then talk about why I disagree with it. Sure, I can make an argument for MMT. It's not really that hard to do. I can make an argument for it on the basis of it's easy. You don't have to worry about the future. You don't have to worry about any fiscal responsibility. As a matter of fact, there's no fiscal responsibility. If money is free and easy, uh, then you go down that path. It's the path, uh, path of least resistance. And you don't have to worry about any consequences because you believe you can just do it forever. And the other argument for it would be that it seems to work. We've been doing this for a very long time. Japan's been doing this for a very long time. China, other nations. I mean, it's United Kingdom. It's just pretty amazing. So why won't it keep working? Well, that's why I, I don't agree with it. It's because historically it can last for a long time. But when other nations and cultures have tried this, it blows up in their face. And I really do not like the phrase, it will be different this time. Fundamentally, I don't see why. There comes a point where investor confidence is shaken. There comes a point where people begin to wonder, can they really do that? Is that really the way that this is going to work? Especially if you layer on more pain. And that's the genesis, that's the basis for our Great Depression discussion and our book, prosperity in the age of decline. So uh, it, it's easy. There's no fiscal responsibility. It seems to work. I don't like it because it never has worked. And there's a, a tipping point that is out there in the future where it all fall down around our ears. Mathematically, it's unsustainable. Mathematically, it makes no sense. You devalue the currency. You drive up interest rates. You drive up other interest rates. When you drive up those interest rates and you make life difficult, you bring the economy down. That's the short version. I hope that helps you. Uh, MMT will probably become more popular as we go forward for the reasons that I said. It's easy and there's no responsibility. How does the result of the elections this fall affect any of our projections? Well, it's not really the elections. It's the policies that follow the elections. And I'm sure you meant that by the question. It's not a question of whether we're Democrats or Republicans. It's a question of what does either party put in place uh, and act through Congress in 21? I'm not sure if I mentioned, but the Senate uh, is controlled by the Republicans, as you know, but they only have to lose three seats and they lose control of the Senate. 
So if they lose control of the Senate and the Democrats control both chambers and it makes it much easier to pass legislation of their choosing. And if Mr. Biden wins the election, then obviously it makes it much easier to get that legislation signed by the president of the United States. But then it's still a question of what legislation are you considering? Well, if it's an infrastructure bill, both parties want that. And that's one of the questions later on is, is about infrastructure. Um, and and it, infrastructure is needed. Infrastructure fixing in the United States is, is needed. It's not good or bad. It's just something we need to do. Uh, it's not just roads. It's the electrical grill, uh, grid, excuse me. It's, it's things that we don't see. It has to do with all the junk that's, uh, that's in space and all the things that we rely on that, that just are falling apart. So yes, it must be spent. And it's not just the bridges and roads that you and I are going to see. It's not the biggest part. Now, in my estimation. Now, uh, if they decide on that either party that does not have an immediate impact on the economy, it actually has a pretty small impact on the economy because right now the bill in the House of, uh, is at $500 billion, which is a large amount of money, but they're talking about it being spread out over five years, which is $100 billion a year, $100 billion a year beginning in the year 22. When you're talking about a $20 trillion economy, it, it kind of kind of disappears. I mean, it's, it's still important, but it's not going to take a 2.4% rate of growth in, in 22, for instance, I'm, I'm just grabbing that number, and turn it into a 3% rate of growth. It just nudges it upward a little, and you hope for a multiplier that comes from it. Doesn't usually happen to a great extent, but that's the hope. Now, as far as other things that could happen as a result of this election, you could find a Green New Deal. And if a Green New Deal is passed and it's dramatic and it's changes and it's immediate and it's time frame, that will change the forecast because some industries will be uh, made uh, obsolete and other industries will be born and it'll be somewhat chaotic. And we'll have to weigh the impact of all that. If there's a new tax code out there, and it's a marginal change to businesses, I would suspect an increase to business taxes and an increase in uh, personal income taxes for high-income earners. If it's a, uh, you know, we're, we go from 21 to 25%, that's not going to change the forecast. If we go from 36% back to 39% for the individual, that's not going to change the forecast. If we go from 36% to 72%, yeah, we're gonna look at the impact of that. If businesses go from 21% up to 50%, yeah, we're gonna look at the impact of that. So that's a wait and see. But I look, figure the probability of that draconian, a change in tax law is, is really small. So I'm gonna go out on a limb here and tell you, we're not gonna change our forecast for 21 based upon what we're uh, gonna see in the November elections. And we're not likely to have to change the forecast for 22. We'll let you know if we do, but it's not likely. We'll know more as we get further down the road. Next question. Is printing more and more money uh, for our government lending going to devalue the dollar? And the question is, yes, eventually it can. And it probably will because the more you print the dollar, uh, the more that you are creating inflationary pressures. The more that a commodity is out there in, the, in, the, in play and... Uh, the more sugar there is, the more of anything that there is out there, the less that it is valued. So if you're just printing money because you need to cover your debt because you want to spend more money, eventually that catches up with you through that kind of devaluation, through the creation of inflation, through fiat currency is the mechanism. And as you do that, it is painful eventually, not right away, but eventually for businesses, for individuals. At first, people like it. You'll like it. 
it'll drive up the prices of houses. And then you won't like it because it'll drive up interest rates where people can't afford houses. It's, but that's the down the road thing. In the meantime, you can get away with it. See previous discussion on modern monetary theory. Do I see digital currency as a threat to the dollar and the debt? No, not now. Uh, it's not big enough now. It's not something that is threatening right now. And I'm not overly concerned about it for two reasons. One is my age. In my generation, we're not going to bank everything on digital currency. That's a you problem if you're a millennial and maybe even a younger Gen Xer, certainly the Zs. That's, that becomes a you problem. But even then, understand that that can be regulated out of existence. That can be regulated to where uh, it just uh, is not uh, allowed. And as it's not allowed, we certainly must understand that uh, its value to replace the dollar is greatly diminished and therefore it's actually eradicated. Next question. Do I think that commercial real estate will have a crash due to COVID-19 and people's reluctance to go back to malls, movie theaters, et cetera? Thanks. Well, that was a future tense question we'll have. I guess my question to you, because your realtors would be, has it had a, a crash? Have you seen the, the decline in, in commercial values in terms of a crash, not just a small decline? Um, as far as the future goes, no, I don't think you're going to see a crash. Neither do I think you're going to see a lot of appreciation. You may, see, you may see some slippage, but people are going to go back to malls. They're going to go back to movie theaters, and they're going to go back to sports venues and, and all that sort of thing. They're going to go back to commercial property. It will take a while, and that diminished demand will certainly not lead people to go out there and build a lot right away. Um, but as there's a lack of new supply and there is an increase in demand, I think that will keep prices from crashing in commercial real estate. That is not a firm forecast. That's just talking through some of the logic uh, with you right now, but it is not an ITR forecast. I've not taken the numbers and, and gone through that process. Next question, with, with positions being eliminated or businesses going out of business, will that make a difference in our housing or not significant enough? Uh, I think the answer to that is it will help people with multifamily units uh, because people will lose their home some, and others will not be able to afford a home. They will no longer be able to qualify for a home because of the job disruption. There'll be some disruptors uh, in through there. But the, the reality is um, it's not going to be a game changer. You're not going to find that it is one of those things that's going to be that significant. Slower, perhaps, with less people qualified. That would seem logical. But you may not even notice it. It may be one of those things statistically that doesn't rise to the level of uh, at your shop, at your office, that you're going to notice a great big change. It, anything from where we are will feel good. Uh, so don't uh, put too much weight on that. Uh, I do not know the answer to this next question, which is if I uh, foresee Michigan making realtors pay for into unemployment in the future due to realtors taking advantage of unemployment now. Uh, no, I, I have no idea whether your state legislature will have you do that or not. A political question, that's an interesting question, but I, I do not have any way of giving you an answer. Will mortgage forbearance affect future foreclosures? Um, no, the forbearance won't. The fact of unemployment and not everybody getting their job back and unemployment running out at the end of July, that will impact foreclosures. I would expect to see an increase in foreclosures when that you, unemployment insurance runs out and their job is still not available for them. Uh, so yeah, some people who own homes will find it more difficult to hang on to their home, especially if they're a uh, 
single income or marginal income family, that will make it much more difficult for them as they go forward. Uh, a, a philosophical question comes up next. Is it really a free market economy if the government is interfering so much? Uh, that's a interesting philosophical question. The answer is still is yes, it's a free market economy. Uh, it's not, perhaps you'd want to say it's not as free market as it used to be, but you go back uh, to 2008-9 and the bailing out of GM and other uh, entities and, and the massive stimulus back then, and you could make the same claim. What you're probably um, you know, concerned about is the slippery slope we're on. What will the next time look like and the next time look like? And how, how much resistance do we really pay to being told to, that we're non-essential and all the rest of that? But even with that, uh, I, I stepped back into outer space and looked down on the planet and I thought, well, we're still not a government that has become socialists and by structure. We can have socialist tendencies, but that doesn't make you a socialist nation. That's a particular structure. We're not there. We're still a republic. We're certainly not fascist. We're not totalitarian. Businesses are not all being told uh, what to price things at, what they can sell, what they can't sell to any great measure other beyond regulatory reform, which we all accept as being generally for the public good. Uh, although there may be too much of it. So uh, in light of all that, I would say that, yes, we are still a free market economy, maybe not as free as some of us uh, would appreciate. In light of the commercial lenders and freewheeling, quote unquote, cook the books culture for the biggest banks recently unearthed, how can the Wall Street of 2007 and 8 be operating in 2020 with the same scheme? Um, the answer to that is, if they are, and I have to admit, I've not followed this, so I'm not up on everything that was implied in that question. The only reason that that would be able to work is if there is a lack of oversight or the regulatory um, reforms put forth in 2007 and 8 and 9 were lacking and did not cover some of the new aspects that are able to be done, in which case it probably still comes back to a lack of oversight as an answer to your question. Does it mean we're at risk? Well, there's, they are stress tested. There are some prohibitions in place. Uh, eventually, we could still be at risk because of a banking system problem, but I think it's a lot less now than it was in 2008 and 9. Um, do you, I see a specific trade that I might encourage uh, people to get into as they get ready to enter the workforce? Well, you know, there's a lot of them. You pursue your passions, that, that certainly helps. Becoming a doctor is still a good thing. I looked at the cost of that education, cost of loans, and the cost of, of uh, excuse me, the payback of those loans, and becoming a doctor is still a good thing. But when you say trade, I think in another direction. And I think, yeah, sure, there's lots of good trades to get into. Becoming a machinist is a great idea. Uh, CNC operator is, is a good job with good overtime, good pay. Become a, uh, go into the building trades, whether it's carpentry or plumbing, electrician, HVAC trade. You're going to do well. Um, and you're going to find that um, it's a good place to be and that whoever goes into that can make a good living, enjoy life, and not have all the pressures of a lot of other businesses. Uh, do I see a housing shift from urban areas as a result of COVID? The need to want to get out where there's more space and less communal living. Um, I don't see it literally. I have not seen any reports on that. I have not talked to people about it, although it's the second time in two days that that question has come up. Uh, I believe the answer to that is no massive shift is going to occur. We have short-term memories. Uh, most people like where they live. It's what they know. 
it's who they are, it's where family is, it's where job is, it's not that easy. And what we've learned at other times of high unemployment is that the last time unemployment was high, I should say, was that in prior years, you'd move to where the jobs were. And now we're at a place where we expect the job to be where we are. We seem less likely to see a gigantic shift. Will you see some of that? Sure, of course you will. Well, we see it here in New Hampshire, people coming in from other states because they want a different lifestyle. Will we see a great increase in people coming to New Hampshire because we practice social distancing as a way of life? Uh, just kidding, but it can seem that way to somebody from New York. Uh, no, I don't think we're gonna see a massive wave. I think that's asking um, too much of a cultural shift for people to accept. If you mean from downtown Grand Rapids out into one of the counties, uh, perhaps, but even then, I think Grand Rapids has been such a safe place, good place, positive place that you're not likely to see a big change. How would I reply to buyers that think the pricing of housing is in a bubble and is too high? Uh, geez, that's a really tough question only because my response would not be at all appropriate if you were to give it. I would ask them to uh, prove their point and to probably uh, face reality that prices have been going up, but there's nothing that suggests it's a bubble. It's a function of demand. And demand has been driving this up in the face of uh, low interest rates, yes, but the banks have not been foolish with their lending programs like they were in the past, which created the previous bubble. We don't have government mandates encouraging uh, lending to people who can't afford mortgages. We have a reasoned system with a supply and demand that's working, might be the, what I would tell them. And if they think it's a bubble, um, then there's nothing you can really do except show them pricing trends, I suppose. If you uh, are looking for a forecast, and the question does ask for a forecast, existing home prices, where do I see existing home prices going in the next 12 to 36 months? Well, in the next uh, 12 months, lack of inventory, low interest rates, the mortgage application rate, uh, when I looked yesterday, it was 8.9% above year-ago levels. I see prices edging up not shooting up, not firing up. This is not uh, 2005 or six, but this is certainly a time when higher prices are dictated by reason. And you might want to share that with them too. And if you still can't get through to them, don't waste your time on them because they're not buying a home. I have heard it argued that GDP is not a good measurement of overall well-being. Is it possible to see broad economic growth, but not broad increase in well-being due to unequal growth? Interesting question. Uh, again, another philosophical question. Uh, the answer is technically yes, um, you can. You can see so much creation of wealth in 10% of the population that 90% that of the population doesn't see it. I mean, that's the theory. And that's what a lot of people believe. Uh, we're writing a book that includes a lot of material on that subject. And I can tell you that that's not actually what's happening. Uh, it's prevailing wisdom if you will, it's what most people think. And uh, there's a large segment of the population that's unhappy, believes they're being unfairly treated financially and, and uh, that the middle class is disappearing and, and that there are no opportunities and it's so hard to get ahead in this world and, and you hear all that and all that and all that. And we're tackling that in, in the book, which hopefully will be out in 2021. I'm writing it now. Uh, but overall, Please keep in mind that GDP still is a good measurement. It's what we have. You can go online and find global indexing of, of uh, good places to be. It's called a happiness index. And maybe it's because I deal with numbers, but I think really a happiness index? Isn't it rather subjective from place to place? 
happiness in India compared to happiness in, in Michigan, happiness in, in Nigeria compared to happiness in, in Western Michigan? I mean, really? How can you compare? What are the metrics? Well, are you satisfied with your standard of living? Well, that's also a very local regional question. So what do we have besides GDP? Uh, hourly wage growth? Well, that doesn't really answer the question either about well-being. So we're looking into time spent on recreation, money spent on recreation. Uh, we're looking into things like cost of education, healthcare, lifespan, and all those sorts of things to, to answer that question. Stick with GDP, uh, please, and perhaps you'd like to buy the book when it becomes available. Um, can't tell you the title of the book because I haven't thought of one yet. Lastly, uh, do I think the cruise line industry will recover? And I'll add in there because I think it's funny, or is it sunk? Uh, I think you're going to find the cruise line industry is going to make a slow, slow comeback. But uh, I think, sure, it, it, it will recover because, again, we have short memories. They'll have all kinds of new promises about air filter, filtration systems, daily cleaning, screening of passengers. And then the next thing you know, years will have gone by. And we'll remember, remember all that COVID stuff? Because remember, the cruise lines were doing pretty well. And before that, it was Legionnaire's disease. And we kind of shrugged that off, didn't we? Where are people that tend to shrug things off? And in a few years maybe five, maybe seven. I don't really know. I haven't forecasted occupancy on cruise line ships ever. And I didn't do it for this question, but some longer time into the future, I think you're going to find cruise lines are uh, fully recovered. The bigger question becomes, what about the stranded capital? They have so much money tied up in ships. And if those ships are empty and they're just sitting there tied to docks, what happens to all that stranded capital? Well, the answer is it's destroyed. The ships become uh, very expensive to maintain. They become expensive to put back into action and companies can fold and new companies are formed and new capital is required. Uh, just remember that as capital is destroyed, it doesn't mean that there's a finite number of amount of capital and therefore the economy is hurting. There's always new capital being created. And as capital is created, it replaces the destroyed capital. So in the meantime, if it's not cruise lines, we'll be going for train rides, we'll be going for moto rides, or RV sales will continue to do well. We'll find other ways, other things. Uh, I'm not sure the genesis of the cruise line question, if you own stock or if you want to go on a cruise line or, or where that comes from. But the short answer is yes, but slowly. All right. Thank you all very much for the questions. I do appreciate them. I'm looking forward to seeing you later this year, hopefully in person. I really enjoy going out there and I enjoy the uh, personal interaction. So looking forward to it. Thank you again. And I hope you have a great day.